you know what's better than short shorts? And they're like, what? I said, B2B marketing. <laughs> and then I just kind of went on. I was like, you know what's better than a crop top? They're like, what? I said, B2B marketing. <laughs> and there's no place that does B2B marketing better than LinkedIn. Yeah. Hi, buddy. Welcome to the Human Element, Kara's podcast on modern marketing. I'm here with Goldie Chan, who is Forbes contributor, LinkedIn top voice. I don't even know what that is. You're going to explain that to me in a second. And founder of Warm Robots. And what is Warm Robots? So Warm Robots is a social strategy agency. We're very boutique based in Los Angeles, which is where I'm based. That's awesome. Welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm so I'm always so happy to be in New York. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. Well, you've come at the right time. <laughs> it is no longer 100 degrees. I love New York in spring and <laughs> fall, the two best seasons yes, to be in New York. For sure. Summer is punishing yes. and winter is grueling. <laughs> that that is that is you've nailed it. I mean, I, a day or two in December to sort of get the holiday vibe is no. fine, but then by the time January rolls around, yes. forget it. So, let's jump in. You have a fascinating career. So, I'm super interested to get a little bit of a background on how you built what it is that you do and and how did that sort of decision set come about? Sure. So I find it very fascinating that most people think I only recently got into marketing, but I've been working in digital marketing for over a decade, Mm. probably closer to a decade point five now at Mm. this point. I have been so in love with social media marketing in particular. Uh, I grew up in Silicon Valley, Oakland, born and bred. And I got to see what happened when Facebook really came up, Twitter came up, all of these social media platforms that we take for granted in our digital marketing became real as opposed to the thing that the college kids were using, <laughs> right. right? And now we have entire businesses built off subsections yeah. of these social media platforms. And I find that deeply fascinating. So that's a little bit of my history as I grew up literally working in the startup world, always being the youngest person on the team. So I always got handed social media strategy because they were like, oh, well, you know the Facebooks, yeah, right? You go you, do this. You have yeah. an account on it. <laughs> you know what this Twittering is, right? Go go handle that. Handle our strategy for that. So I've been working in social media marketing and specifically community management for such a long time. And then about two years ago, I was on sabbatical for a month, which I love to say sabbatical because that's often a fancy way of saying I'm not gainfully employed. So I was (laughs) on sabbatical after my head of marketing position. I was actually working at a social analytics startup here based in New York, but while living in LA. So I was doing over full New York hours in LA. I was exhausted. I need some time off. So I took a month off. Two weeks into that month off, I got into the LinkedIn video beta. Yeah. And I thought, no one is going to watch videos on LinkedIn. So let me just start making video content on this platform that is not at all optimized for video. Nobody's going to watch this. And we'll see what happens. And then, you know, two weeks from now, I'm going to become another gainfully employed person back in the American workforce, (laughs) (laughs) working for a living. And that two weeks became a month. Yep. 
and now it's been a little over two years and I still am not gainfully employed, uh, which is <laughs> terrible. So, <laughs> And so now I run Warm Robots. And the funny thing about Warm Robots, I actually had a agency I was running with somebody else before, but that was a, a complete shell agency. So it was an agency I made mm. just so I wouldn't have a gap in employment. <laughs> and the greatest irony of all of this is that that shell agency became a real agency because it got clients. So I was making videos on LinkedIn and then all of a sudden I started getting clients for my absolutely fake agency. And it's very then I thought, deconstructed, very yes, meta. Yes. <laughs> it was very meta. And so I was like, oh no, now I, now I need a real agency to handle these real clients, clients because I had, you know, I had made an imaginary agency for my imaginary clients. And so now, now I run a real agency with real clients and I do video about 50% of the time and work with brands like Adobe. I've worked with WeWork, Microsoft, all these amazing, really wonderful brands. And I never thought that this is what would have happened a little over two years ago. And of course, now I'm a judge for the Shorty Awards. Yep. I serve on the board for VidCon industry track. In fact, I even brought them an entire platform. I brought them LinkedIn. So it's been a very fascinating journey that I did not expect, nor quite frankly plan to happen. <laughs> well, those are the best things. Yes. If ever I have heard a millennial tale, that is a millennial <laughs> tale, which you just described. Uh, I especially like the building the fake agency and winding up with real clients. If, if that's not the advertising <laughs> industry, no, I don't know what it is. Let's sort of jump into that a little bit. As you look at the past two years in particular. And let's focus in on kind of the work you've done around LinkedIn. LinkedIn to me is still, I think it's fair to say, the least optimized, least leveraged of the big social platforms. Is yep. that fair to say? Absolutely. But enormous power in that. What what sort of gave you the idea to kind of give it a whirl? And then how has that journey gone from there? I actually have always, I've spent so much money at LinkedIn already because I always had the premium profile. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually took quite a few LinkedIn learning courses, which is so deeply ironic that now I teach LinkedIn mm. learning courses. So in an incredibly meta way, LinkedIn asked me to teach the course on LinkedIn video. This is a video course on how to make videos on LinkedIn video. <laughs> and then they shot it in my vlog type style. Yep. So it looks like there's many layers of sure. irony and, and meta in there. But when you think about LinkedIn, you think, and I get this from so many people, including people at, at digital agencies, and they just say, well, LinkedIn is the resume platform. It's the platform yep. I go to when I think, oh, I'm going to get fired. Right. Uh-oh. Like I should get on LinkedIn again. Or I've already gotten fired or I've already left that role yep. and now I'm on LinkedIn full-time because now LinkedIn is my full-time job. I think that's such a short-sighted way of looking at LinkedIn and LinkedIn has incredibly potential. You're completely right. It's completely unoptimized, but it still is the top platform for B2B marketing. For sure. And that's why I think it's so fun. So even if the ad spend is quite a bit more expensive on LinkedIn than it is, say, on Facebook you are getting so much bang for your buck because you are getting the place where all B2B marketers have a voice, yeah. have a presence, and they're looking to spend their money. They're looking for information. They're looking for the right people to connect to. So in that way, it's a uniquely powerful platform because they don't exist in those numbers on any other platform. I think I remember something like there are 40 million decision makers 
on LinkedIn. Yeah. And those people are the people who hold the purse strings. Yeah. So since those are the people that make those monetary decisions, it's such a powerful platform for that reason. And so if you create content, if you have a presence on there, you can reach those people more easily. So while your vacation pictures might not do so well on LinkedIn and they'd be better optimized for a platform like Instagram, you can reach actual clients, actual business on LinkedIn. When you sit down to do your video series, for lack of a better descriptor, Mm -hmm. in LinkedIn, how are you picking topics? Are you working with them to pick topics? Or how do you run your editorial process? Sure. So I'll take a far step back to two years ago when I first started creating content on LinkedIn. I had the longest running daily channel, over 750 daily consecutive videos on the platform. But video eight, very early in the beginning, LinkedIn sends me a message and they're like, your videos are incredibly weird. We'd like to meet with you. We just want to talk. And I'm like, oh, no, this is always a bad way to start a relationship. (laughs) And I met with them, and they're like, you're not using the video platform in the way we intended for it to be used. You're creating this walking and talking video content that's a little less whiteboard, standing in front of a whiteboard, talking at people and more interactive, more colorful more different. And so the first 50 videos I did were on pop culture, branding, marketing, and metrics. So Mm. I would take something like Harry Potter or ride sharing in the US, and I would actually break down the numbers, the historical context, the branding behind all of these phenomenons. And I would walk, it was a terrible idea because I didn't know how to edit at the time. I would walk and do these very shaky vlog videos where I would talk about numbers while walking and talking. And I thought it was so clever because I I called them hashtag walk-in talks. Okay. But they were interesting to people because people had never seen that kind of content tied in with branding and marketing. So the the seriousness of what I was talking about versus the more fun, let's get out into the world as opposed to we're sitting behind a desk, the same desk. There's that white wall and we're just talking at you. I wanted to make specifically B2C and B2B marketing, just more fun. Mm. And I wanted to talk about numbers and branding in a more fun way. And this is really what I think turned heads on LinkedIn is that I wasn't trying to do viral YouTube videos. I was just literally trying to give informational content, but just more interesting. Yeah, that that is that is God's work. <laughs> Bless. Um, <laughs> So so you start doing that. They send you a note. They say, what on earth are you doing? This this is not how we <laughs> intended to use the plot, like some robotic voice, right. right? At what point in time did they go, huh, maybe there's something to this? So, Or did they? Yes, they did. So that was video eight. Now I have to say, I just kept going. So I kept thinking, I'm going to stop at daily video 10. I'm okay. going to stop at daily video 20. So this is the timeline. So video around video, they, they asked me to talk to them. They're like, weird, weird, weird. Okay, that's interesting. Around video 30, I think I visited one of the LinkedIn offices for the first time. I did a video with them. They're just like, we're just watching you. We're just watching you, Goldie. We have our eye on you. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, you haven't told me to stop, so I'm going to keep going. And then around video 50, uh, one of my friends who's a videographer messages me and he's like, I think you should watch this video I'm editing. He's like, just don't show it to anyone. I'm like, that's odd. And he's like, I'm editing a video for Jeff Weiner and his last keynote. He's like, you're in it. 
And it was uh, <laughs> and it was a video about the top creators on the platform yep. with this new product, LinkedIn Video. And I was in this video. I was one of 10 creators yep. that he featured. My friends are like, what have you been up to? And I'm like, well, I've just been making videos until I get a real job. Right. <laughs> and then around video 80, I'm sick. It's Halloween. I have already uploaded my daily video on LinkedIn. I think, okay, I'm done. I'm not logging on to LinkedIn again compulsively for another six hours like I normally do. And a bunch of texts come in. They say, you have to go to the platform now. You have to look. So I'm wondering what they want me to look at. I finally log on and there's a picture floating around. It's been shared a bunch of times. So many comments. This picture has gone viral. It's a picture of Peter Roybal, who's the head of video at LinkedIn. He has a green wig. He's sitting on a ledge with a hoodie on. He, they made a fake LinkedIn video frame. And the caption is, thank you to Goldie Chan and all the other LinkedIn video creators. <laughs> Now, I've never talked to this person, and now we're friends. Peter's great. But I'd never talked to him one-on-one before. I didn't even know he knew I existed. Right. And around video 80, I was like, oh, I guess this is something legitimate. So this whole time, I was doing strategy, and I still do strategy consulting. But I was doing strategy consulting, so I was like, that's the job. Yep. Right? It's doing social media strategy consulting, right. which I know how to do. And I was doing the videos still really for fun. And around video 80, I thought, this might actually be something. This might be a business. And then around video 100, I happened to be in New York. Now the video team is also in New York. So I went and visited them and I created some GIFs. And Tenor GIF, which is now owned by Google, reached out to me and said, you're really interesting. We'd love to partner with you. And I said, my agency isn't currently looking for a GIF solution. They said, no, we want to give you, Goldie Chan, your own GIF page. And that was such an odd concept to me because I thought they were trying to sell me as a vendor. Yeah. And this was the first time really somebody reached out to me as an influencer and I shudder even at that word as a marketer. Yeah, don't worry. I'm going to ask you about that (laughs) word in a second. But, you know, it was so interesting to get them to reach out to me. So I shot a couple of GIFs and then these GIFs on my GIF page completely dominated the hashtag LinkedIn. And Tenor GIF is used on Twitter, it's used on WhatsApp, it's used on Facebook. So basically, anytime somebody looked up, and still to this day, if you look up LinkedIn and certain other keywords, I completely dominate hashtag LinkedIn, like literally the universe of LinkedIn. And then the rest is a little bit history. I brought the first ever LinkedIn Creator Summit at around year one to VidCon. I had a fan throw me a one-year anniversary party in Dallas, Texas. Uh, LinkedIn saw that, and then they thought, gosh, we should have our own one-year anniversary party. So they asked me to host it (laughs) a week later (laughs) after my one-year anniversary party here in New York. And so I've I've been very blessed, I think, to be a little bit of a liaison in the face of this product as it's been maturing. And now, of course, there's live streaming on LinkedIn, which is currently in beta. I think it's very exciting. Yes. And it's very exciting for brands and agencies, especially because there's so much you can do with live streaming, once again, on a platform where you can get the right kind of qualified clients yep. and community. That is an awesome story. Thank you for sharing that. It's remarkable to sort of listen to you describe it in a way that sounds almost accidental, hmm. but it's not entirely accidental, right? I mean, it, at, at some point in time, right, whether it's video 80 or whatever, you say to yourself, oh, there's something to this. What's next? How do you sort of decide where to go next with 
sort of Goldie the brand? I always like to look at myself incredibly clinically, and I can't help but do this because I am a marketer. (laughs) In some ways, it's the worst and the best thing because I have helped Fortune 500 C-level executives with their personal brands. So I have consulted so many people on, please don't post that blurry horse hoof picture you took of your horse while you were riding in the Hamptons on your Instagram account. It's not appropriate. Literally told this to somebody at 3 a.m. in the morning. And I have to tell myself the same thing. And it's so interesting to be in this space because I have so many more resources now. And I I mentioned before that even the word influencer makes me uncomfortable. And why? I think because in the decade that I did digital marketing, there is one side of marketing I completely of purposely avoided (laughs) my entire career. And I think this is what karma is. Um, and that's influencer marketing. Yeah, so every every one. time they exactly yeah. every time they tried to assign it to me, I said, you know what, I hand I'm handling social and I'm yeah. happy to talk to them, but I, I don't want to really deal with influencers. And your reason for that is <laughs> and my reason for that is I was like, this is never gonna last. Mm. And then the greatest irony is 10 years later, I become one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so now I am one. And I'm now starting to talk to a lot more. And so many of them tell me, you know. They all hate the word. Yeah. They want to be known as a creative or an entrepreneur, literally any word but that word. Sure. The word definitely has connotations to it for the good and and for the bad. And certainly when you throw it out in, in, you know, kind of corporate marketing meetings, there's a a rolling of eyes and whatever. It is no different than any other either emerging media platform Mm -hmm. or ecosystem in that there are businesses that are built around those, the central element, whether it's a platform a la Google or LinkedIn or, you know, in the old IBM days, it's the mainframe, right? right? And there there are ecosystems of businesses that are built around those foundational structures. Mm-hmm. Those things have all kinds of different elements to them as businesses. In this particular case, because there is a content and performance element around these platforms. Celebrity is not the right word. Mm -hmm. Uh, Influencer is not the right word. Entrepreneur feels like, you know, you're writing code in a basement somewhere. (laughs) So I don't know that we have the right word for what it is, but it doesn't mean that those aren't sort of legitimate terms terms and ongoing sort of business interests. And I think that's the really fascinating space. And I think to your observation of 10 years ago, it's not going away. No. It's it's not going away because tomorrow there'll be a new platform. And tomorrow there'll be a new target audience. And tomorrow there'll be a new kind of topically interesting area. Mm -hmm. And as long as those things continue to perpetuate, we will have people that are able to move into those spaces, build content, build audiences, build influence, build engagement to, to build those businesses. And that's really fascinating, especially since it all kind of, in the broadest context, happens under the umbrella of marketing. Absolutely. As you know, anything under the beautiful umbrella of marketing (laughs) is both wonderful and sometimes terrible at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) So what are your kind of, you know, top two, three, four things that you tell your clients around kind of building a personal brand? The absolute first thing I always tell clients around personal branding is what is your why? Now that sounds so hokey, of course, but if they don't know why they're doing the work that they're doing, then why talk about it? 
especially if they're my C-level executives, they need to know a corporately approved why of what Mm. they're doing. And that needs to go through so many layers of approval, but it needs to still have their flavor. Sure. It needs to be filtered through them. So that's the first thing is always the why. The second thing is focusing, Mm. focusing down. I had a C-level executive at an unnamed huge, huge, huge company. And he also owned a sheet music business on the side, which I thought was very fascinating. That is fascinating. He co-owned it with his cousin. So it's it, now you know the nature of that kind of business. Okay. <laughs> who lived in a small town. And so he would tweet about this very big Fortune, I think I was at the time, Fortune 50 <laughs> company. And then he would tweet a discount coupon for his sheet. And and so we we had to sit down. You know, I had to actually sit down with his team and say, this is hurting his personal brand. Now he can talk about this company, but he cannot, he can no longer tweet out literally when, yeah, yeah, get $5 off your next sheet music purchase from yep. this totally spam. It looks like somebody has hijacked his social right. it looks media. looks like he account. got hacked. It looks like he got hacked. Yeah. And it's every fifth tweet. So I always say focus. You want to focus in and that should be filtered through your why. So that's the second thing. The third thing is the tactics. What are the nuts and bolts of what we're going to do? So that is, are we going to create a bunch of content? Is it going to come from, shockingly, some of the C-level executives want to do their own content. Some of the people I work with, personal brands, they want to do all their own content amazing if they want to yep. and actually can do it because everyone that wants to do all their own content that's a lovely sentiment yes however in reality are they actually going to take those optimized for social media or for pr photos maybe not right so not I, maybe <laughs> <laughs> so many of us are so busy And we don't have the time to do that kind of content. So tactics are incredibly important. Then the last thing is always platforms, right? So I do tactics before platforms because I want to know what is the time commitment Mm. before we can go, let's let's launch this person on 12 platforms and they don't have a team to actually do that. So I love to be a lot more realistic. So what I think is really funny is with my own personal brand, I like to throw caution to the wind a little bit. And I like to be, oh, I'm just going to create a bunch of stuff and we'll see if it sticks. With my clients, I am so buttoned down. I like to be very thorough and very step-by-step and say, if you don't have the resources, we're not going to just try to throw spaghetti at the wall. We're going to do it in a very controlled We're going to only throw one piece of spaghetti at a time. (laughs) (laughs) One piece of very defined spaghetti on a very defined piece of wall. So what is storytelling to you? Storytelling to me is the thought between the storyteller and the audience. And to me, you have to include both sides Mm. to make a story. Because obviously, it's just like branding. If you tell a story to no one, it's not really a story. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. The proverbial, if a tree falls in the woods. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you work with your team to build quality content? Like, do you have a process? Do you have a filtering mechanism? Do you have a, you know, criteria, a rubric? Like, what, what is your way of knowing, all right, that's good stuff? Gosh, I feel like content is like going to a supermarket and you see all the ingredients, Mm -hmm. right? And if you throw every single thing that's in a supermarket into one pot, 
that will be one of the nastiest things that you ever try to consume in your entire life. However, if you are careful and you know recipes or yep. you just have a good gauge yep. of what might be tasty together, then you can start creating really delicious content. So yep. that's how I think about content. It's the right pieces in the right recipes, the right combinations. And for everyone, it's different because some people like Italian food, some people like Japanese food, some people like Mexican food. All of these different food types I'm describing are different audience types, right? Some people are targeting millennial moms. Some people are targeting Gen Z, but maybe only males in the Gen Z demographic who like skateboards, right? Mm. It really depends on who you're targeting. And that absolutely, to me, defines the kind of content that you're going to serve. When you sit down, do you do briefs for content? like, Or are you yeah. much more organic than that? So I'll sit down with my team, we'll sit down with a client, and we will talk through the big ideas first. Yep. And then we will, of course, deliver some iteration of a brief yep. afterwards. But I think it's incredibly important to sit down with the client first and talk through some big mm. pie-in-the-sky ideas just to get a flavor of what what they like and what they're leaning towards and then decide if you want to absolutely agree or try to push them towards the idea you think is better. <laughs> <laughs> Perish the thought. Perish the, the thought. <laughs> the, um, when you're doing stuff for Goldie Inc., yes. do you do a brief? Absolutely not. So I'm, <laughs> once again, I think it is so funny because there's so much that I expect out of my team yep. when we work with clients. And there's so much that I expect my clients expect from me too. Yes. And when I do stuff for myself, especially I'm like, today I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to go to Disneyland and we're going to shoot 30 videos. And I might not know what those 30 videos are, but they're going to get done. Yep. And they'll probably be really interesting and have high engagement. And that is the only parameters that I put on my own content. But to me, I'm not always doing my content for monetization now for obviously for sponsored yep. content and other things like that. That's very different. Sure. That's a brief, right? Yep. That's something that I treat a lot like client work. But for anything that literally doesn't have money behind it, all caution kind of goes to the wind. I will just create what I feel like because there's no parameters on it. I don't have somebody to answer to. Should brands have some portion of what they make that fits that same criteria? It always makes me incredibly nervous to have brands <laughs> throw caution to the wind. But I will say, I think it's really good to have narrow parameters yeah. for most of your content and very bro just broad, sure. but there's still you're still, you know, there's a front and there's an end and you're not going to cross those boundaries, right? And I'm with you. Look, I, trust <laughs> me, I, 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 but... The longer I'm in this business and the more I watch the way audiences, particularly below 40, have mm -hmm. changed how we consume and what we consume and what interests them and how vehemently against being sold anything they are. Yep. The more I'm like, we will have to go further and further down the trail as brands. I always think about Netflix and Taco Bell specifically Netflix on Instagram and Taco Bell literally anywhere right now. They're both doing highly experimental yep. marketing. And I mentioned Netflix because Netflix on Instagram, what they do is they go into the comments. Mm. They go into that place that whenever you are 
advising a brand, you're like, be very careful when you respond. Yes, it's literally you. the most sensitive area. <laughs> and Netflix throws, honestly, almost all caution to the wind. So what they do is they talk in the voice of that fandom, which yep. is a very specific language. So for example, they will talk to Riverdale fans, which is that Archie comic show. I am uh, <laughs> intimately familiar. I have a 15-year-old daughter. Okay, there yep. you go. And they will use terms that are affectionate terms that fans use for different couples that are within this yeah. show. You're shipping whatever. You're shipping yeah. whatever. And they, yeah. But they won't say it like an old person trying to sound young. They will say it actually in their tone. So they're like, oh my, five emojis, right? Yep. Like they're like, oh my gosh, blah, blah, blah. Like, ha, 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 love them, but hate blah. Yeah. And so it's it's really fascinating to see this because that is not somebody older than a millennial that they hired, unless that person is absolutely brilliant and has learned this language. They have clearly hired sure. people on the team who natively speak yep. this foreign language because it is basically a foreign language to speak in emojis. Yes. I feel there should be a an emoji, you know, that should be one of the languages that you can list on your, your resumes. I speak in emojis. <laughs> I, I have been told by Charlotte that I am the most dad in emojis ever. I, I know that's bad. I don't know. I don't I don't know what specifically is so daddish about my emoji use, but apparently that's I am grade A dad in emoji use. I feel that when you especially if you're using emojis and you only use say 10 of the same emojis over and over again, that is usually indicative of someone who is not emoji native. Yeah, that's we'll call the, it. that's the, I would say that I, my over under is about 6. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. You're you're solidly in that bucket. I think that's a good way to always tell is when, just like hashtags, right? Yep. Different emojis trend at different times, different sure. terms trend at different slang trends at different times. And it's the combination of the right slang yeah. plus the right hashtag plus the right emoji. So it's three moving yep. parts that are always so difficult to master. And I feel that brands like Taco Bell, like Netflix, have actually hired four people who can natively sure. use this because they are probably to their friends talking like that. Sure. Well, it's yeah. like, you know, entering the French market. Try to do it with somebody that doesn't speak French. Good luck. Good luck. There's something in your example, and I think it's a great one, the Netflix example, but to me, it still ties back into what is true and has always been true of marketing since three million years ago when I started. And that is, it is fundamentally and inherently linked to who the brand is, right? Yes. So Netflix, their brand is entertainment and as intelligently relevant a recommendation set as they can get delivered mm -hmm. through their platform. And they are taking that brand DNA and delivering it through social, which yeah. is they are translating the most relevant element of that entertainment property in those comments. So it is a language that they don't inherently speak, but it is true to what the core brand is itself. Yes. Yeah. I, I could do this all day, Goldie. You're <laughs> remarkable. This is fantastic. All right. Thank we're going to jump ahead to a couple more, and then we're going to get into the lightning round. Ooh, let's do it. I know. We're going to do a little looking forward question. You ready? Yes. Crystal ball. What are you talking to your clients and even in your own sort of Goldie Inc., which is what I keep calling it, you need a holding company, Goldie Inc. <laughs> what are you kind of looking forward to in terms of either innovation or new initiatives or things you're going to be focused on for 2020? 
I know we've been talking about this for just such a long time, but it feels like a long time to me at least. VR, AR, AI. <laughs> you know, I throw out all the two-letter words. VR, AR, AI. Yeah. And I'm so looking forward to these things finally becoming mainstream. And I actually, I personally believe that in 2020, we will be much closer. And especially with AI, which is fundamentally built into a lot of our more complex marketing software systems anyways already. In some ways, yeah. Yeah. Well, in a lot of ways, we're not calling it AI because yes. AI is still a scary term. We're yep. calling it intuitive learning mm-hmm. or some other term. That's really... AI. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to when AI, when the robots, my people take over, uh, when AI is a lot more intimately built into a lot of what we're doing and a lot of our daily lives. And so more of the consumer side as well. And then AR, VR, I would love to see more AR, VR happening. And once again, in people's daily lives, as opposed to buying a headset, putting it on, buying a game because you want to be futuristic. Yeah. I mean, the, the form factor is the issue there, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the pathway there is what platforms do I currently have, whether it's, you know, my Google phone, my, my iPhone or whatever, that I am going to experience some kind of AR, VR experience through. It is not headset driven. I, I struggle to see a mass impact scaled path right. for that. I would love to see... AR, VR that is not headset driven as well because it seems it just is so bulky. It's so awkward. I've worn and tried on all these headsets in the advent of headsets. I just was at Microsoft HQ and tried on the HoloLens 2. And this was fascinating. I don't know if you've had a chance to, it's brand new. They're still developing it further. But this is fascinating because it literally looks like just a regular pair of glasses and you can flip them up Mm. without taking off the headset. Uh. So if you don't want to see what's going through the lenses, you literally just flip up the glass part and then you just have normal vision again. But what I also like is that the sides aren't blocked in Mm. so you don't feel that heaviness of the headset. It's very intuitive with eye tracking. So... There was a very cool demo that had a hummingbird and all this other cool, cute stuff. But what I thought was the best part was when I looked at the text for describing the hummingbird, it tracked my pupil movements and it predictively scrolled the text for me. Now, that is way more fascinating although less cute than the hummingbird landing on my hand. But <laughs> but the, the yeah. predictive text, now that's fascinating because that means that I can read yeah. a book without turning pages or without doing the, you know, yep. the air fingers, air finger scrolling. Because yep. I tried to do it too because natively I want sure. to just do this. And he's like, no, don't do it. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> but that to me, if that can get into the mainstream, how cool would that be? Yeah, that is interesting. What's the one thing that people in the industry aren't talking about that they should be? I always love to bring it back to communities. Mm. We like to talk about empathy and we like to talk about all these things. And I think people like to talk about communities always in the context of communities directly equals your clients. However, that's not Mm. to me true, right? Because a community that you develop specifically around a product or a brand that may not be the same person who is paying you good money Mm. to consume your product or brand, right? But that may be just a supportive 
person, a supportive human who wants to encourage that brand, wants to encourage that person, et cetera. So I think community building at the very essence of it being a person, that's where I'd love to see focus again. And on the side note from that, one thing that I've been focusing on doing more talks on that I believe really passionately in is personal branding within corporations. Mm. Because so many people are in corporate jobs that they don't want to leave. They're not looking to become entrepreneurs, right? They love the place they're working at. And they want to feel like they are recession-proof. And they want to feel a little bit more like, if I do stay in this job, I have a better chance of getting a promotion. I have a better chance of being seen. And the projects that I, I manage being seen. And I always believe the best way to do that is having an internal personal brand, which for a lot of companies, I think they're starting to come around to this. Like I just gave this talk at Lego. I gave a similar talk at Google. A lot of these brands are really warming up to the idea of their internal, all the people that work there really having their own personal brand that's tied to the larger corporate brand. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting idea on a number of levels, right? There's talent retention, Mm -hmm. I can see it linked to a sense of an approach or a process by which innovation or insights are driven. Like there's a lot of things in that that could be really valid. I think that there are so many positive things that arise from it. Because if you let your employees create their own personal brands in a way that obviously does not detract from the overall corporate brand, you empower your employees. You make them just at the end of the day, feel better, yep. right? It's so great for HR <laughs> because these employees now feel like they're in control of at least a small part of their experience at this company. It's not just all at the company's win. Sure. Okay. Lightning round. So, Ready? Okay. Yep. Favorite digital experience? Favorite digital experience would be, I have to shout out a friend. <laughs> uh, my friend, Cyrene Q, does AR Snapchat lenses. So she recently did a few lenses that I thought were really, really wonderful. She's one of the top six Snapchatters in the world. So her AR experiences in the Snapchat universe are always really interesting. Favorite social media platform? LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering if you were going to do it, but I figured I'd ask. (laughs) Not LinkedIn. Beyond LinkedIn. Non-business oriented. Instagram, obviously. Really? Yes. Do you feel for Snapchat? There is a great video on Facebook, actually, that's called Tech Stories. It's a Facebook watch series. Okay. And it's all of the social networks talking together in a text chat. Um, And so at one point, (laughs) it's just Snapchat being really angry at Instagram (laughs) over text and then Facebook trying to intervene. Facebook's the dad. And Facebook's like, hey, can't we all get, get along? along? And hey, you know what? I have stories too. And then, and then you know, Snapchat goes, nobody watches that. And then, and then Instagram's like, get out of here, dad. And then LinkedIn, the best part, my favorite part, is when LinkedIn attempts to jump in and is like, What's all this racket? What's what's the ruckus, kids? And then, and then there and then all the social platforms, including Twitter, are like, "Get out of here, Grandpa!" And then, and then you just watch LinkedIn leaves chat. <laughs> and it is the best video out there for anyone who works with these social platforms. It makes me so happy, and I am absolutely LinkedIn. I'm Grandpa, who's just like, "Why are you kids so loud?" Oh, but I'm also Instagram funny. because Instagram 
in this text chat, very cleverly, Snapchat's like, well, you took all of my functionality and you stole this well, stuff. And Instagram just says, but I did it better. <laughs> All right, I got to look that up. That's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. TXT stories. Got it. Best career advice you have either given or received? Everyone gets fired. (laughs) Amen to that. (laughs) Amen to that. Competitor you most admire? I really appreciate a lot of the other LinkedIn top voices. Now, I'll answer this really quickly. A LinkedIn top voice is a designation given by LinkedIn itself. Mm-hmm. Less than 0.0008% of all people on the 575 million people who are on the LinkedIn yep. platform will ever get it. Got so it. I got it for social media marketing. That's awesome. Yeah. So Alan Gannett and Natalie Riso, who are also, and Shama Haider, who are all LinkedIn top voices in the same category as me, I just really love what they're doing and they do it with such a different aplomb. That's awesome. <laughs> One thing people should know about you, but they don't. According to my IMDB, I am part Cylon and part Navi. Really? <laughs> yes. Cylon being a reference from Battlestar, Battlestar Galactica, Galactica and Navi being obviously a reference from Avatar. And it's part of my official IMDB facts. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know that I... Jason, do you have uh, your hair? Have you done the 23andMe sci-fi channel edition? Those categories. <laughs> uh, I've got to do that. Last thing, and I can't thank you enough for coming on. You've been absolutely thank fantastic. You. How did you decide hair color? So I used to change my hair color every three months. So this shade of green is my favorite color period. It is lime for our studio yes, audience. Yes, it's lime. Yes. It's a ish. lime green-ish. Yes, okay. And I was in month two and I suddenly started doing LinkedIn videos and very shortly thereafter, Huffington Post called me the green-haired Oprah of LinkedIn. And as, as a marketer, as a branding yes. expert, you can't let no, that opportunity it, right? go. You're, that's it. Is it difficult to maintain? I actually basically re-dye my hair every week to keep it this shade of green because the worst thing is when you see people who have that faded, Mm. mucky-looking color, if you're going to go bold, go bold all the way. Got it. (laughs) Goldie, I can't thank you enough. This has been fantastic. Would you come back? Absolutely. All right, we'd love to have you. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of The Human Element. Please remember to find us anywhere that you find your pods. And if you feel so motivated, subscribe or give us a like, and we'll be back out to you real soon. Thanks so much.